Good afternoon and welcome to Preparing for Divorce, a monthly support call sponsored by Mainline Family Law Center. Mainline Family Law Center is a divorce mediation firm that takes a holistic, integrated approach to assisting clients in navigating divorce in a healthy way. These monthly support calls are interviews with experts in fields of interest to those considering, preparing for, or navigating through divorce. My name is Pamela Elaine Nichols, and I am your host. To all the listeners, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. We acknowledge your commitment to being well-informed, and we are honored that we are, our, we are a resource for you. Just a little bit about me. I was married for 18 years. I am the mother of four, three of whom are teenagers. In my search for answers how to thrive, not just survive after divorce, I started a journey of personal development and healing. As a result, I started speaking and motivating women to find happiness and success after divorce. I appeared on the Dr. Oz show to share my story of how to recover in a healthy way, and I published a book. Muddy High Heels, 14 Lessons Learned from My Breakdown, Breakup, and Breakthrough. For those of you who are new to our calls, you are tuned in to a conversation between my guests and me to bring you valuable information about a specific topic related to divorce. The title of our call today is Preparing for Divorce, What Happens to the House? My two guests will help you understand the process and hopefully reduce the worry about what happens to the marital home. Let's start with getting to know our guests. I'd like to introduce to, introduce to you my first guest, Cheryl Connor. Cheryl is a senior mortgage advisor at Philadelphia Mortgage Advisors. Cheryl is a top producer and has been awarded the distinction of one of Philadelphia's five-star mortgage professionals as featured Philadelphia Magazine. Welcome, Cheryl. Hello, Pamela. Hello, guests. Hello, listeners. <laughs> my, other, <laughs> my other guest is Adam First. Adam is a realtor at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Fox and Roach Realtors. Adam has a professional background in management consulting, finance, and social work. It is in this combination of hard and it is this combination of hard and soft skills that truly sets Adam apart from others in his line of work. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Pamela. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you both are here with me, Cheryl and Adam. Please uh, say hello again to the listeners and tell us more about yourself, how you got into the work you do, and what drives you to help others. Cheryl, why don't you kick it off? Thank you, Pamela. Hi, listeners. My name is Cheryl Connard. I have been in the mortgage business for over 25 years now. I entered the business, believe it or not, when interest rates were 10% and going down. So mm -hmm. we all look at interest rates at 4% and think they are high. They are not high. <laughs> and uh, I've been happy to help clients along the way either refinance or take advantage through purchasing of their homes with um, wonderful interest rates in the market. Um, I, by chance, got into the mortgage business after spending some time both on the retail side of 
banking as well as um, financial planning. So I bring a little extra to the table of being knowledgeable about um, assets as well as liabilities, one of those liabilities mainly being uh, mortgage financing. Uh, I've been with nice. Philadelphia Mortgage oh. Advisors for over eight years, and um, I'm very happy to be um, an integral part of uh, the Philadelphia um, mortgage community. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Nice. Okay, Adam, how about you? Uh, okay. Um, Adam, first, as you uh, heard, I'm a, a realtor with Berkshire Hathaway, Fox & Roach. Um, I've grown up on the main line, um, lived here my whole life, and started out sort of going a direction of finance and, as you heard, management consulting. Um, and um, when the market uh, sort of went crazy back in 2008, I kind of turned my back on that, took a, a vow of poverty, went back to school and got a master's in social work at Bryn Mawr. Um, where I met my wife, who was going through a divorce, um, and married her and her four children. Um, in that process, I realized that uh, being a, a clinician um, was not going to pay the bills, and um, was, it was a tougher job than I, than I really had uh, planned for. So I started a couple businesses, and then I found myself in of residential real estate, which is sort of the perfect combination of, like uh, Pamela said, hard and soft skills where I can kind of do my own um, work with individuals while at the same time still being able to work on contracts and finances um, and sort of big ticket uh, transactions. So it's sort of that combination and my lifestyle with, you know, uh, now I have a, a modern family. My wife and I have our own child um, that um, kind of brings me to try to work with folks who are in sort of difficult life circumstances um, but also need real estate assistance. Now, did I hear you say, Adam, that you married a woman who already had four children? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my family thought I was nuts. Um, I, uh, I now have three. I have triplets that are in seventh grade. I have a fourth grader and a 19-month-old. Um, wow. so, but they, they all live with, they all live with me, um, and their father is still involved, um, and we've figured out a way, you know, to make it work, but I've also, you know, had plenty of experience with, uh, with folks that, where it's not nearly as, as, uh, cordial and easy to, to handle. Well, the first question that comes to my mind when you said that was, like, where did you live? I mean, did you have a <laughs> did you have somebody help you find the right house for this big family? I mean, what was the living situation like? Well, I, I, for a time, I actually lived in her home um, mm. because at the, I was at the time I was single, had you know no kids, didn't think I was ever going to get married or have kids for that matter. Um, mm. And then when we decided to get married, we found a home. And how I kind of got into the business is, you know, I had a a realtor, bought my house, um, learned a little bit about that process and realized what a good fit it would be for me. Um, mm. And that transition, I live now in Wynwood um, in a house that um, is plenty large, but, you know, is always full and active. We have five cats, two dogs, um, and with all the kids, you know, it's a, it's a, a full plate. 
Got it. Well, let's start with a basic understanding about what the two of you do for a client. What you do and at what point do you step in to serve a client? Now, the reason why I wanted, I don't want to take any knowledge for granted because sometimes, I know for myself, I wasn't clear when I was going down this path myself between the mortgage advisor and the realtor, when one does one thing, when one does the other thing, and how to integrate the two if they're even integratable. So why don't you two just take a moment to distinguish as well as compare, if there is a comparison, what you two do and when you do that for a client. I'll get started uh, if that's okay, Adam. <clears throat> sure, go ahead, Cheryl. Sometimes I think it's easier to have the initial conversation with the mortgage person, um, even before you have a conversation with a realtor, only to have a basic understanding of the numbers. How do those numbers play? The monthly payment, <clears throat> excuse me, the purchase price, the amount of cash you have, the down payment you have, um, play into actually the price range that you should be talking with with your realtor. Do you agree with that, Adam? I do actually. In the first conversation I always have with, uh, with buyers, I want to know if they've spoken to a financial professional because quite mm -hmm. frankly, if they don't have the means or they don't know what they're looking for, it's very difficult for me to help them. Right. And what I also find is in the beginning to have an idea of what the real estate taxes are depending on where they're looking and how that plays into both the cash they need at settlement as well as their monthly payment. So many people forget to, forget to include that as part of the conversation that we all have. Um, some people are very, very in tune with what the maximum mortgage payment they can qualify for. And if they don't understand that piece is so important, I think they lose sight of where they should be looking and um, how those taxes play into that equation. Yeah, and I, uh, if you don't mind me stepping in, I think that yep. uh, once, once you have a grasp of your financials um, and what you can afford, not just what you can afford, but what you want to afford, um, I see my role as a realtor as sort of uh, the person to hold your hand through the process and kind of guide you um, from, you know, uh, finding, uh, you know, where you want to live, what kind of lifestyle you want to have, um, what kind of um, house you need, finding you obviously that property, and then walking you through the process of a transaction and negotiation. You know, my goal is to remove all the stress from a transaction, um, and in doing that, I need to partner with all number of other um, professionals, and the financial professional is, is usually the most important one. Mm. And I can't agree, agree on that more. It really is a team and we are all members of that team. Knowledge is power. So the more knowledge you have, the better understanding you have of all of these pieces and working with the right people, the better off the transaction and the relationship will be going forward. So let's pretend that a husband has just been informed that his wife is filing for divorce. And of course, there's a whole lot of anxiety that goes with that, that that declaration, that announcement, rather. So aside from all the other emotional stuff that has to go on, would that be a realistic time for him to begin the thinking around where, like, do I stay, do I leave, and um, the financial issues around 
perhaps having to find a new home, buy a new home? I mean, like, at what point would it make sense to start thinking like this? Uh, I'll, I'll take that just initially. Um, my feeling is to always be as prepared as possible. So, hmm. you know, I, I tell folks, you know, if you're thinking about doing something in the next two years, you know, better to know the marketplace now um, as soon as possible, and particularly for, um, say, a husband just finding this out. Um, you know, I've worked with folks who need to find a rental, um, want to understand what it would cost for something like that, but also just start to educate themselves because you're kind of entering into a world of, of uncertainty, and the mm. more you know, the less uncertain it will be. Mm. And let me add to yeah. that, um, but it also can be too soon. It may be too soon to take on the idea of buying a new house. There, there's so much to decide in the beginning stages of not only the current residence and what to do with that current residence and whose responsibility is what, but we are going to be looking for certain information as to who is taking on certain expenses. And that has to be ironed out in the beginning. So it might not be the situation where they're necessarily ready to buy yet, but mm -hmm. how is the current home going to play into the long-term decisions of both um, the staying and leaving partner? And how, how do they – is that a conversation they would have, need to have with someone like you, Cheryl, or is this is something they need to discuss with their lawyer or their mediator? I think they need to have that conversation between themselves and their lawyer and their mediator. Pennsylvania mm. does not require a separation agreement, but there has to be some terms agreed upon as to who's taking responsibility for liabilities that are on hand mm -hmm. and what is going to happen with that marital residence if it's owned in both of their names. Mm -hmm. So if the liability is in both of their names, that liability is going to continue forward with them either staying or going. And that is going to play into the next piece of the transaction of either keeping that house or refinancing that house or selling that house and getting into a new house. So, you know, that, that has to be discussed. And sometimes I feel that people reach out to me without not having an understanding of that piece of the pie yet. Or mm -hmm. who's taking responsibility for paying alimony, child support, um, and those expenses either on a liability side or an income side. And, you know, some people start that process also too soon. I see. So timing is really important here. Timing is extremely important, yes. Yeah. So how does credit play into this? How does uh, credit score play into all of this? Credit is um, extremely important. And knowing what is a joint liability versus an individual liability on everything that is out there. So um, if you haven't, uh, every year you can get a free credit report through annualcreditreport.com. Let me say that one more time. That's mm -hmm. annualcreditreport.com. That will pull from all three credit bureaus. You can then go down through your liabilities and see which is individually um, an individual liability versus a joint liability. And if you're going through the process of splitting up liabilities, make sure that anything that is jointly um, in place gets separated. And if you are mm -hmm. jointly listed on those liabilities, spend the time to make sure 
that if the other person is taking responsibility for that liability, but you're also jointly listed, that that person is also making that payment as agreed upon. Because if he or she is not, you're still responsible for that payment and will stay on that credit report. Um, Same goes with the mortgage. If one person is taking responsibility for that mortgage and that is on your credit report, make sure, go online, make sure the payment gets, gets applied every month. Credit stays with you for seven to 10 years. So mm. it's not going to go away. And um, if somebody tells you not to pay something, I would, um, I would hesitate because it's mm-hmm. not something that is, gonna, um, is not going to go away um, and can affect, obviously, uh, you qualifying for any liability going forward in the way of a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. I've got this question about pre-approval, and I'm going to throw this out to Adam first, actually. So let's just say the woman is pre-approved. It could be a man, too, but whatever. (laughs) A woman is pre-approved for $250,000 to buy her new home. She's, She's leaving the marital home. She wants to buy her own stuff. Should she... Would you advise her to look at homes above 250, below 250, or at 250? Like, how do you, like, just because you're approved for $250,000, does that really mean you're pre-approved for $250,000 and you should hit that max? Or should, is there some play in there? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think there's some, the, the terminology here gets a little bit um, funny because um, there's, there's a pre-approval, which sometimes is interchanged with a pre-qualification, though it really shouldn't be. So the first thing, I mean, a pre-qualification, and Cheryl can speak to this better than I can for sure, um, is what a buyer will need, as far as I'm concerned, in order to make an offer. Um, and if they're pre-qualified, for you know, uh, a loan that would allow them to purchase a $250,000 house, uh, I would one want to make sure that they're comfortable with what those payments are. So I'd be happy to be able to explain to them based on you know, a level of taxes and insurance, et cetera, about what their out-of-pocket expense would be. And if they're comfortable with that, um, and let's say 250 is the right uh, amount of money, then I would have them look at houses up to probably 275. Um, because mm. home prices do drop over time. Um, now, I don't want people to get excited about a house they can't afford, but I would rather somebody see something. And also, you know, not all offers are made at asking price. Um, so if you see a house at 260 um, and it might only actually be worth to you 240 um, you can make an offer at whatever you'd like, and you definitely wouldn't miss out on that type of opportunity. So I, I would definitely, you know, give a little bit of, of room when looking, um, but certainly uh, would have someone take a very close look at their out-of-pocket expenses and what they feel comfortable affording, um, not just what a bank will give them. Uh, mm-hmm. Cheryl, do you, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, and Cheryl, when you, when you give your thought, I, I would like for you to distinguish a little bit more between pre-qualification and pre-approval. Absolutely. So first of all, let me say when I um, initially talk with my clients, I usually ask them for the higher end of their range. 
So I try to not stick with necessarily, let's say, um, the 250 number. I might you know, initially talk to them about 300 or 275 or, again, those real estate taxes and those levels based upon where they're looking to see if there's any room to really go ab- above and beyond that 250 number. So, and also, as they start their search with the realtor, I also ask them to keep me in the loop about properties that they are looking at, and I will send over um, mortgage information based upon the down payments and um, you know, the uh, monthly payment based upon other homes that they are looking and viewing. So it, I think it's hard in the beginning to actually come to a specific number until they actually um, get into that search a little bit more. So I often will um, encourage them, you know, once we have that first conversation to go and, you know, talk to Adam and talk to their realtor about um, other homes to make sure that we're on the same page about that. Because I think those numbers are a little bit variable, up or down, depending upon uh, where they're looking and, again, that monthly payment. So, and that changes, again, as the taxes change, as the sales price changes, as their down payment may change based on the information um, that they go out and they see. So the difference between – I hope that answered your question. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. so far? Okay. This difference yeah. between a pre-qualification and pre-approval. So we're always starting with the pre-qualification. So the pre-qualification is really going through the information on a mortgage application and starting with very basic uh, follow-up. So basic follow-up would be running a credit report and asking for basic information that me as a loan officer, not an underwriter, is approving. I run that mm-hmm. through an automated underwriting system as long as the underrated, um, automated underwriting system um, gives us an approval, I issue a pre-qualification. And to be honest with you, that is usually absolutely fine in most instances. If somebody is a W-2 employee, gets a normal salary, has good overall credit, can verify the basics of um, where the source of the down payment is coming from, that's fine. The pre-approval is taking that step a little bit further and actually supplying all of the, cre- the credit documents needed for the mortgage up front, which an underwriter is then reviewing and issuing mm. a full mortgage commitment. So it's actually going through it a little bit more, and if you, you know, yeah. are out there comparing apples to apples any given day, most lenders are not giving a full pre-approval um, in the mm. beginning. And we, I always you know, correct my clients as to you know, what I am giving to them, which is a pre-qualification in the beginning. I will stress, mm. though, if I feel that the client needs to do a pre-approval because of extenuating circumstances, I will encourage them to do that. Got it. Uh, and, Got it. And, let me, and let me add, by the way, that when you are making an offer on a house, if you have a full pre-approval ahead of time, that does represent a stronger offer than simply a pre-qualification because mm-hmm. it shows that someone's really looked into your background, mm-hmm. your credit, your taxes, mm-hmm. et cetera, uh, and knows that you're good for it and that the deal won't fall apart. Right. Yeah, so you're really looking under the hood with the pre-approval. You are. And, and you know, in this market, even though um, Adam said that, you know, sometimes houses go for less, this is a very much of a seller's market right now. And the, the more you are, um, have done your research and your homework, the better off you're going to be in this market. So. Yeah. I want to move to some of the softer areas of no less important of um, buying, selling a home. And I'm curious uh, if you would, about the, the big mistakes, like the top three big mistakes prospective buyers, sellers make 
in this industry when, when they're deciding about the marital home. What are some of those in your, in your specific areas, Cheryl and, and Adam? What are the top three big mistakes people make? Hmm. Uh, 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 Go ahead. Think about that. Um, yeah. Sure. So, so I think one of the big mistakes, and I think we sort of already addressed it a little bit, is um, starting to look for a home without knowing what you can afford. Um, mm. it's, people spend a lot of time, and they can play on Zillow and Trulia for hours and hours every weekend. I hear stories about this all the time. And then at the end of the day, you know, they're looking at the wrong homes. Um, so I mm. find that to be uh, sort of a, you know, not a, not a, uh, a deal-ending kind of uh, mistake, but definitely something that will save you, you know, some time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the act of self-interest, I'd say one of the mistakes is people not developing strong relationships with a realtor or with a mortgage professional early on. Um, the earlier you kind of you have that in place, the easier it is to answer every question you might have. It's so much easier to pick up your phone and send a text message to somebody and get a, a quick response than to get into the situation, particularly if you're going through a, a divorce um, or any kind of difficult family situation, and you already are stressed, you already are overwhelmed, um, it's good to have somebody on your side, someone you can easily lean on to answer your questions um, mm. in a pinch or if you just have a question. So those are, those are two particularly for mm-hmm. the types of uh, listeners we're talking to, uh, I think, that stand out at the moment. But I'm sure I'll think of more as Cheryl jumps in. <laughs> That's good. That's I good. think a big mistake on my end is people um, – wanting to estimate, um, wanting to estimate their, what their income is, wanting to estimate how much money they think they have access to and what the source of those um, sources may be. Um, some people, you know, just assume that they might be able to ask mom and dad for uh, a, a down payment to help out in the, in the interim period where mom and dad might not have liquid assets available. They may assume that, um, you know, they're going to be getting and, and think off the bat that they're going to be getting a certain amount of money paid out monthly that in reality is not the situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. Or tell me a figure for income that is really not the reality, adding in um, things that they don't realize can't be added in um, as income. You know, um, my brother like what? me. My brother gives me five hundred dollars because he lives with me. Mm, um, you can't add I, that in. You can't add that in. No. Oh. Or you know, oh yes, I always work um, extra hours. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certain things are averaged over a two-year period. Or a self-employed right. person giving me their gross income not their mm-hmm. net income after all of those expenses they just wrote off, which mm-hmm. now ends up being a loss, not a profit. So there's certain things that, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, in the beginning until I delve into the deeper, mm-hmm. darker secrets, um, <laughs> really um, can, can be a negative, not, you know, a positive. And that's, you know, my job is being in the business long term to really, you know, bring that to fruition. And again, know that I'm going to be asking for documentation. And, you know, it is, our world is a lot of documentation, and it's my job to really prepare people that 
um, I'm going to be asking for everything in the kitchen sink. And um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, people need to know that from the beginning, that it's not an easy process to deal with. Can you add in, Cheryl, alimony or child support? You can, but again, there has to be um, a, a receipt of mm-hmm. now they have you know, fallen back a little bit to six months proof of receipt and a three-year continuance. So yes, mm-hmm. it can be used. We need document, again, documentation is key, but we need to see um, there's a steady source so that they have been receiving for at least six months and that it will continue for at least three years. So another thing comes into play here, Pamela, is looking at the age of your children. So if mm-hmm. you have a child that's 16 and will be turning 18 just two years down the pike, three years is not going to be necessarily a given that it's going to be a continuation. That child might need to be backed out of the situation regarding the child support for that individual. So, and also it's the timing of alimony. A lot of times the alimony is only written for three years. Well, if they've already been receiving it for six months, three years isn't a guarantee going forward. So you have mm-hmm. to look at, you know, the receipt and how long it's going to be continuing. So, yes, a very important part. But, yes, it can be used. Okay. When we had our pre-interview conversation, you both said something independently that I thought was very interesting about this whole process. And so I want to, I want to talk about it for a few moments. There's something that happens that unnecessarily complicates the marital home, buying, selling, staying, etc. And I want to know if you two will talk to that issue. We talked about communication. Can you both share your experiences as well as your opinion about the importance of communication going through this process? Um, I'm, I'm happy. Or the failure, or the failure of communication. Yeah. <laughs> right. As an ex-clinician um, who, can, who can speak to the importance of communication in all realms, in every, uh, in every environment, for every situation, um, particularly um, as the stakes get higher, the importance of communication, in my opinion, becomes that much more important. Um, in my experience, I've had some pretty complicated transactions with uh, listings, say, for uh, a divorcing couple who don't speak to one another. Um, and the difficulty that ensues when um, I, for instance, become the middleman um, and when my client or clients are both parties. So when it's my responsibility to make sure everybody's on the same page and I find that I'm the one doing the communicating and the other parties are not, um, it just it creates so many potential um, uh, landmines um, in, in any situation. So as far as I'm concerned, and I think you asked me this, what the most important thing is uh, for someone going through a divorce um, as far as I was concerned, to me, communication is number one before anything else in my, in my personal view, um, and it makes every decision afterwards that much easier, real estate included. Um, you know, you can't make a, a big decision um, when folks don't have a, some sort of a common ground to speak to. Yeah, wow. And nothing is too small to talk about, by the way. Um, especially going through 
a, a divorce situation and what is happening in, in, those, in those pieces because you never know how it's going to affect something else. So it's mm-hmm. okay to bring it up with your realtor or your mortgage person because it actually might affect something else in the process. So, like, yeah, what do you mean you by have, that? Um, husband's going to take care of paying for the car. Husband now, as the divorce continues, that responsibility is not his, it's now hers. Mm. You know, finding that out somewhere yeah. along the way could be a key factor in them qualifying for a mortgage going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, what assets are going to be split with, um, with each other. You know, as mm-hmm. the communication or lack thereof proceeds, you know, if we're um, expecting or hoping that, you know, something's going to be transferred over to an, uh, one person from the other and it doesn't happen, that will have an effect on maybe the amount of cash that's available um, that we were hoping for or banking on. Um, but again, yeah. yes, communication and you know, finding those types of things out and not bringing them up with certain parties in the transaction can affect how things play out in the long run. Uh, as as Got well, it. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, um, so often, even you know, not in complicated transactions, um, the husband and wife um, don't have similar goals. You know, they want something different um, out of the transaction. Different things are more important to them, um, not just specifics of a home, but in the, the, so maybe one party is more concerned with the financials than the other. All of those issues will come up no matter what happens. There's no way to avoid them. So the earlier you can address them and address them together, the easier it's going to be for down the road because there's, there's really no way of avoiding um, these issues uh, and, and better to, to face them. Yes, got it. We so always go on, Pamela, as that, yeah, you know, we ahead. always hope that everybody is on a great playing field. And unfortunately, that's not the situation all the time, obviously, as we go through, as, as we work with people that are going through um, a split. So, you know, we always hope that everybody is on the same page. And more times than not, that's not the case. And that's where yeah. it also comes into play is maybe starting the process a little too early so that we, you know, uh, we're, uh. these things may, have, may get better worked out a little bit farther down the line. Then, um, and you have those, you know, more key factors in there as, you know, you're moving forward with purchasing a home um, and, and taking over those responsibilities. It's, again, it's just better if um, some things are ironed out as you, you know, enter into that process with Adam and myself. Yeah, that's very helpful. All right, well, it's now time to go to our next segment, which is one of my favorites. It's called Going Rogue. So in this segment, Cheryl and Adam, I'm going to make three bold, unapologetic, but yet slightly controversial statements to which you two will respond with either I agree or I disagree, and then you'll tell us why. Okay, are you two ready to play? I'm sure. Ready. <laughs> All right, so first statement. A buyer should be careful in selecting a real estate agent because agents are more concerned with commission than with meeting the needs of their client. 
I think it's a softball question. Um, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree completely. Oh, okay. Uh, now, I agree that all agents are concerned with commission, as anybody would be concerned with how they get paid. But I disagree with the fact that it should be a concern for the buyer, um, mm. as the buyer doesn't, um, in, in almost every transaction, a buyer has, uh, ha- does not pay the commission. Commission is paid mm-hmm. by the seller. Um, so while... While the buyer's agent, the agent representing the buyer, has a fiduciary responsibility to act in the best interests of that buyer and help them, they get paid by the seller. So there's, there's no, um, to me, there's, there's no conflict um, uh-huh. as to which agent you go with because you're not negotiating your rate with them. Um, that's completely on the seller side. Nice. Okay. Second I disagree statement. Too. Okay, good. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, All right. The spouse who pays the mortgage has a right to kick out of the house the non-paying spouse because the paying spouse is really the owner of that home. I disagree. 100%. Why? Okay. Most likely, um, they're both on the deed. Even if they're not on the deed, that is still a property that will – come up in conversation as they move forward through their um, divorce process and you can't um, kick somebody out of um, a home that most likely, even if they're not on the mortgage, are still on the, the deed and ownership of that, of that residence. That, that cannot happen. Good. Okay, great. The last statement, if couples want to take the agony out of buying, selling a home, they must learn how to communicate using emotional intelligence. Um, I agree. Uh, It doesn't take all of the complications out of it, but any amount of um, intelligence, emotional or otherwise, that can be brought to bear in this situation um, is is useful. Um, Mm. So, you know, I'm not an expert in emotional intelligence, um, but, you know... the more sensitive everybody can be, um, the mm. better off. Got it. Great. I never use that was the fun. term emotional and intelligence together, to be honest with you, because sometimes <laughs> I think the emotion can outweigh the intelligence, um, yeah. especially in a difficult situation where um, you know, people can um, get their feet set in the ground and don't want to move, and um, the emotional can outweigh the intelligence. So mm-hmm. sometimes... I don't like the two necessarily together. Interesting. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, Let's move on to did you know? So did you know, Charlotte? Cheryl, you and Adam um, will each offer three secrets. And because of time, let's do two secrets or relevant resources or interesting tidbits of knowledge that most listeners don't even know about but can benefit from. So, Cheryl, why don't you kick it off with Did You Know and offer us two really great relevant resources. Okay. Well, I actually brought this up before, but I'm going to mention it again, that all of us should be obtaining their free, a free credit report annually from all three credit repositories. And again, the free source is www.annualcreditreport.com, and that is a government-approved um, source. 
Um, secondly, if you have a court-ordered debt, has to be court-ordered, um, that does not need to be included in liabilities from a mortgage perspective and qualification. So if the court orders that a car payment has to be paid by your spouse, me as the mortgage company does not have to include that for qualifying purposes. Mm. Those are my two for today. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Adam. Okay. Sure. Um, did you know um, that the cost of making an offer on a home, the true minimum cost of making an offer on a home is the cost of an inspection. Um, most people think that if you make an offer on a home, you've got to put a ton of money down, um, that you're locked into something. No, in, in the uh, standard Pennsylvania Association of Realtors form, there is a uh, standard 10-day inspection window when you have the opportunity to inspect a house, uh, find out what's wrong with it, if any. And during that time, you can walk away from the deal as long as you've done the inspection for any reason. You don't have to give a reason, and you get your full deposit back. Um, so you're talking about you know, a $500 uh, approximately to make an offer on a house um, mm. is, is all that's at risk. Um, and then secondly, um, something to keep in mind for those of you who know a realtor, and if you don't, give me a call, the realtor who shows you a house for the first time um, is the one who will get paid. Uh, most people don't realize that, and they'll go on Realtor.com, they'll put their information in, um, and they'll get a call from some random realtor somewhere who, who got the note, um, and they don't realize that through something that we call procuring cause in our business, the agent who shows you the property initially um, is due um, the commission on the deal. Um, so keep Whoa. that in mind if you, if you have any friends, um, and particularly for folks who are in a situation where maybe you're afraid to go to a friend who you know is a realtor because you don't want them to know you're looking at houses or something along mm -hmm. those lines, just something mm -hmm. to keep in mind that you, know, you are putting that uh, commission at risk. So, even, so you're saying so even if I had you show me that $250,000 home first, but I didn't use you, I used Susie May, and we closed the deal together, you still get the commission? I could make a very strong argument that I had procuring cause for that deal to occur. Um, mm. And yes, I would be due the commission. Now, it, goes, it would have to go through a hearing, and there's all kinds of um, issues. But, but yes, I mean, and technically, you know, if an agent does bring you to a property and show you that property and you buy that property, you know, there is an argument to be made. But by the law, that, that agent would have procuring cause and you'd have to take some, some major steps in order to undo that. Great, great. Did you know, Cheryl and Adam? Thank you. Let's, uh, let's see what now you can do with an offer. What offer or resource or giveaway would you like to um, share with our listeners? Adam, why don't you kick it off this time? Sure, okay. <laughs> so uh, for anyone who's listening right now, um, I'm happy to offer you a free in-person, in-home valuation um, on an annual basis for your house, period, full stop, end of story. Um, all you have to do is give me a call. I will come by. I'll run the comps as if you were going to sell your house. Um, we will Ooh. do a evaluation, 
And every year going forward, we will keep updating it because prices change, the market changes, and how you would price your house on a market has to do with a lot of different factors um, that a Zestimate online will not give you. Um, so that's, that's, what something I was I, that's something I can offer. So why, why not go on Zillow or some sites like that? Uh, actually, the Zestimates are so um, off that they – actually publish their error rates. If you go to the bottom of Zillow's webpage and you look, they publish the error rates per uh, county, um, and they're extreme. You know, you've got homes that are you know, 20, 30 percent off from where they should be. Now, in our area, uh, there's a high concentration, so it's not as far off. But as particularly homes get more and more expensive, that 5 percent, 10 percent differential becomes a lot of money. As well, it doesn't take into consideration what else is for sale in the market. If you've got the only mid-century modern house on the market today, you know you are you are the market, and uh, a Zestimate won't pick up on something like that. Got it. All right, Cheryl, how about you? I would like to offer callers today a $250 credit towards closing costs if they move forward with either purchasing a new home and using me for a mortgage or refinance their home as um, part of um, their, their divorce situation. So just um, reference this call today and give me a call. You're going to be giving out our information shortly. Um, and um, I'll give it $250 credit towards closing costs. Awesome. Well, I can't believe that our time is just about over, Cheryl and Adam. I could talk to you both all day about this because there's so many other things I would want to know about and I know our listeners will, so that means that they're going to have to contact you. Do you have any final thoughts, points of clarification, or information for our listeners? And please include how to contact you. Cheryl and Adam? I'll go first this time, Adam. Uh, my contact information is um, C. Connard. Be careful of the spelling because it's a little odd. Um, it's C-C-O-N-A-R-D at phillyadvisors.com. And my best number to reach me is 215-850-7320. I can't stress enough that everyone that's listening probably today has a slightly different um, situation. And um, it's really important to have an honest phone call, an honest conversation about um, your situation so we can get you on the right track. Thanks again for listening today. Um, And... Uh, if you'd like to reach me, um, my email address is my name, Adam First, A-D-A-M dot, and the last name is uh, spelled a little different, F is in Frank, E is in Edward, R-S-T, at foxroach.com. Um, or you could call me or text me on my cell phone at 202-421-5500. Even though it's a D.C. number, it's where I went to school, I just kept it. Um, I live uh, in, uh, in Wynwood. I, uh, I grew up uh, in the Lower Marion, um, and I'd be happy to help anybody. And by the way, if you call me and it doesn't seem like we'll mix or there's something about me maybe that you don't think is the right fit, uh, I'm happy to recommend you to anybody else um, I work with. I have an enormous network of, of colleagues I'd be happy to connect you with. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Adam. This has been a great conversation. Mainline Family Law can be reached via their website, MyHealthyDivorce.com.
www.thrivingmindsets.com. Spend time on their website because it is full of useful information that you may not know exists to help you out. I can be reached via my website, yourresiliencecoach.com. Please join us in June for another insightful conversation to help you achieve a healthy divorce. Be sure to check out myhealthydivorce.com for upcoming details on our next call. Until then, remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters. Take care.